Houston. Woo-hoo. Rock yeah. and roll is here to stay. Oh, and we're going to go right to the top, right at the beginning of Why the not? show. Why not? We got the guy. I mean, he is so connected in sports. You name it. He's been there. He's done it. Please welcome from NBC, Mr. Dan Hicks. Good morning, sir. Hey, Dan. Guys, good morning, and that is an enthusiastic wake-up call. I'm I'm alive and wired right now. After that. Awesome! You can awesome. put that cup of Joe away. We'll get you going right away. <laughs> no, it's still here. Okay. Uh, what a year it's been, and and what a year you're going to have next year. I have so many topics to talk to you about, so I'm going to jump in right with the top one. Your partner for what 18 years is going on. He's going on to better things. Retirement. Johnny Miller yeah, is stepping Johnny away. Miller. Yeah, it's a sad. It's it's sad. It's going to be tough for all of us. Um, you know, I've been next to him. You know, we'll do we'll do one more event. Johnny has one more event. Um, his last one will be the Waste Management Open, the Phoenix Open uh, in February, which we do every three years, and CBS does the Super Bowl. And um, it'll be it'll be an appropriate you know time to say goodbye and place to say goodbye because of the venue. Johnny played some of his best golf, uh, you know, in yeah. the seventies and oh, yeah. just like ran away with tournaments in the mm-hmm. in the desert. Not only in my hometown of Tucson, but up in Phoenix, where he used to win by twelve, fourteen shots. And so he was the desert fox. And so it's going to be uh, it's going to be a bittersweet moment. Uh, it'll be the twentieth year that will mark two thousand nineteenth that I've been that I've been next to Johnny. So that's a nice even round number to go out on. But Johnny will turn seventy two next year. He's got twenty four grandchildren. He's done it. Whoa, all whoa, 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 whoa. back, back up, yeah. back, back up, right yeah. there. I heard that twenty four grandchildren. Okay, yeah. first of all, how many children does he have? He could he could field uh, two both Ryder Cup teams if he wanted to. Uh, I heard but, that twenty four. I just go wow. Yeah, Johnny uh, Johnny is, has five children of his own, and uh, he of the Mormon faith. They uh, get after it, yes. so to speak. And yes, they do. <laughs> it's a great family. I've known Johnny and, and his wife Linda for you know forever, and uh, and his sons and his whole family. They're great, and there's no doubt why he wants to spend more time with them. He wants to teach his young grandchildren to fish and to play golf, maybe perhaps as well. So there's a lot of left on his plate from a personal family standpoint. But boy, are we going to miss a guy that I think and have said, uh, you know, through the years really changed the landscape of broadcast golf. I mean, he put a new spin on it and, uh, and, uh, we're, we're going to, we're going to dearly miss him. Yeah. Big shoes to fill. No doubt. Well, you know what, change the way. You know what they say? Sometimes you're, People that you work with, mm-hmm. you spend more time with them than your marital oh, partners. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I, you know, sure. I mean, you and him. I mean, some of the time you spend so much time out on the golf course and in the booth and everything. That's that's going to be yeah. a, now. How you, do, is, you lose a friend? You know, you lose it. I'm not going to see him as much. I don't plan on not seeing him ever again. There's, in fact, he's getting inducted into a, uh, or he's getting the Francis Wimet Award next year, well after he retires, and I'll be there. For that up in Boston, so just I'll I'll figure out any kind of excuse I can go go to see him. He goes yeah. to the Masters every year. I'll try to go there and see him. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's like a friend, uh, you know, who who you lose a little bit. Well, Dan, if he wouldn't have stepped up, if NBC wouldn't have made the move to get a guy like himself, because before that, no one was critical. Well, there were there, I guess there was to a certain extent, but not really. Who would have been that guy? I don't know. You know, the guy that comes closest or has come closest to him is Paul Azinger. And just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, ironically, he's the guy that's going to uh, yeah. replace Johnny that I'll be working with, uh, you know, after Johnny retires. So, um, you know, Paul Azinger's he, he's done a fantastic job. And I think that if there's anybody that's most like Johnny, it's him. And I think that he's, you know, it, it becomes... 
it, it's a personality thing, guys. It's, I think it's either in you to speak your mind and speak the truth and be honest with the viewers, or it's mm-hmm. not. And I think it's a hard thing to teach a former athlete to, who comes in the booth, whatever sport it may be, mm-hmm. whatever they're analyzing, to, to be that guy, to cross that line and to say, you know what, you're not a player anymore. You're more of a, you're, you're always a player, but mm-hmm. you're a broadcaster as well, and you have a responsibility to the people at home to give them your insights. That's what you're being paid for. And whether they agree with you or not isn't really the point. It's, but, it's the fact that you've got somebody in there with the experience that's able to commentate and give the person at home an idea of what this player may be feeling at a certain time. So that's the, that's the rare, um, oh, yeah. you know, that's the rare instance where, where a guy can do that, where, where a lot of analysts have chosen not to, and they're really not as compelling to listen to. I just like the way he was able to do that and not be snarky. You know, with social media and the way the society is now, he was never snarky, but he, you know, he was, you know, he, he was honest, but he didn't yeah. have that, that, snarkiness to him. Does yeah, I mean, I think sense? it comes through experience. Yeah, I think it does. It, it comes through experience, first of all. The guy won, you know, 25, mm-hmm. 25 times. The guy was a prolific winner. Two major championships, Hall of Famer. His resume speaks for itself. So when you've got that kind of playing record, you can you can kind of, you know, go from the hip. And, I, and hey, you know, on the, other, on the flip side of that, there are, there are times, and Johnny will be the first to admit that he could have maybe said something a little differently than he did. But, <laughs> um, you know, that comes, from, that comes from going at flags. And I think I've told you guys this before on um, my appearances with you that, you know, he, he broadcast just like he played. He went after flags, and you're mm-hmm. not going to, you know, you're not going to nail them all. You're going to short side yourself, and you're going to make some double yeah. bogeys. So, uh, but that's the way he went after it playing, and that's the way he went after it broadcasting. Well, now, you just came back from across the pond not too long ago for a little thing called the Ryder Cup. Um, what do you think of the criticism that's being out there? Is it fair, or did the Europeans just spank us? Europeans kicked uh, kicked American butt. I mean, there's no doubt about it. All you got to do is look at the matches. And, you know, when we got out of the gates there on that first session of that opening day, four ball, uh, it was 3-1 U.S., and it looked like, okay, you know, all this firepower and on-paper stuff that we talk about every time looks like it's going to hold true, and the U.S. looks like it's in for a nice run of its own. But then mm-hmm. eight matches in a row, Europe won, and it was like a snowball and an avalanche. And that's what happens in the Ryder Cup, and that's what happens in match play or can happen in match play. And it just became this out-of-control, you know, wild, uh, you know, momentum that Europe just rode, and they – you know, it's. I get asked about it all the time. You know, why? You know, th- those guys look like they're having more fun. They look like they're a tighter knit team. I. I don't know about that. I. I will say that they just seem to enjoy beating the United States in that competition more than the Americans enjoy beating Europe. And I just. I think it kind of comes down to that chip on your shoulder. I think they love. They love playing at home, where the U.S. still hasn't won since '93, 25 years, which is which is crazy to think of. But I just think that they love protecting home turf, and I, I'll say even with the lopsidedness of the matches, even though it got a little interesting on Sunday. But even though it was clear that Europe was going to win, it, I got I enjoyed watching the spectacle of 55,000 fans on that course, Le Golf National, outside of Paris celebrating that win because you could just see the joy in the faces of the players and the people that were out mm-hmm. there spectating so it's still a great it's still an incredible event and uh 
in two years of whistling straits, we'll be doing it all over again and wondering how the U.S. is uh, going to get another one. You know, anytime uh, the U.S. fails in this, they're always kind of second-guessing. I guess they're second-guessing even if they would win. There's always some type of controversy, big or, or small. But I had uh, Billy Ray Brown was on with us um, a couple of weeks ago, and I asked him about Patrick Reed's criticism of Jim Furyk, and he said, man, I agree with him. Why was he not playing with Jordan Spieth? <laughs> yeah, what's your opinion? Interesting, you know, it's it it is. I think it's definitely a fair question. Um, why would you break up a team like that that uh, had that kind of success? But I think a huge factor in it was Jordan's longtime friend Justin Thomas being, you know, making his first Ryder Cup team. And I think that Jordan Spieth had, I don't know, grown a little weary of being attached to reading this, and he didn't want to just play with, you know, one guy and just be, you know, tethered to one guy. And mm-hmm. let's say the, you know, let's say that their success wasn't as good as it was in previous ones. And I don't know. I, I, I just, I think that, I think that Jordan Spieth had kind of made it clear, to be honest with you, what we were hearing. I've not talked to Jordan specifically about it, but I think that he had made it clear that he wanted to, you know, break away from the Reed pairing mm-hmm. and uh, be um, paired up with his ba- with his pal, and they were good. They were really good. Yeah. So you can't argue with that aspect of it. And Reed apparently was uh, told he was going to be with Tiger Woods, but not until late in the game, and that was when – I don't know if you guys saw recently Davis Love the third kind of put the onus on himself for not being more communicative mm. with Reed about who he was going to be playing with, and apparently he didn't know until – I guess they were just getting on the plane to come over that he was playing with Tiger. I don't know. Mm. There's a, there's so many – you know, ins and outs, and then there's the yeah. dust up with Kepka and Dustin Johnson, and you wonder what you know. Maybe there's there's got to be a little smoke where there's or fire where there's smoke there. So, um, yeah, it, it, you hear a lot more about these kinds of things when the U.S. ends up on the short end of the score. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. let's go a week before the Ryder Cup. Atlanta was pretty special. Mm. Tiger is back. Oh, yeah. And one of the neat things I loved about it was that final hole. You let the crowd just it, 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 you just let it play out. It was like you didn't need to say anything. But how special was Tiger's year? It was incredible, and you know we've done we've had the privilege to to do a lot of them now. Eighty wins in the fourteen majors. We did several of them as well, including the last one ten years ago at Torrey Pines. But this was different. This this represented an entirely different feeling kind of win than mm-hmm. the seventy nine previous ones. Because of where he'd been, because of where people thought he'd never get to again. Yeah. And when we looked at, I looked at the back end of the tower there at 18, we're just golfers right short of the green to the right of, uh, of that hole at Eastlake. And uh, that, that scene was something I'll never forget. It was, wasn't supposed to happen. Now, we've seen scenes like this in the Open Championship where, the, where it's a tradition for the crowd to come in behind the players as they come in the last group. But this was uh, a little breach of security that kind of like that it it surprised the officials there that it happened. But there was such an intensity to it. You could feel it in the crowd that they were not going to be denied their chance to get as close to the history that they could, the special history that it it represented. And it, it was a great feel, unlike any other feeling I've ever had. At any other golf tournament and any other tournament that Tigers won, and as I mentioned, he's won a bunch of them, so... It was um, it was pretty cool to see a guy come to a place where, and I was one of those. I, I thought he was. I didn't think he was ever going to win. I really didn't. Much less play a tournament. And <laughs> when he hit rock bottom yeah. and the four back surgeries and everything that's been documented, it was um, 
it was just exceptional, sensational stuff, and it was just uh, it, it, it will be go down as one of the big highlights of, of anything I've ever covered for me. Just to watch that, I don't know how it was for Joe, but to see Tiger enjoy that moment, you know, so many times he's won so many huge events, and he was just so intense. I wondered sometimes how I know he enjoyed it deep inside, but I, he didn't show that. But this was just. I mean, he had fun, you know. Yeah, he has fun a, now with his uh, with his opponents. You know, it's just yep. it's a different tiger. You hit it on the head, and here's a great example of that um, that just I think nails it. So, we've been covering Tiger since he was a teenager, and then when he broke into you know as a professional, you know, for 25 years. So every Saturday, pretty much without fail, we interview at least a one or two players that are in contention on Saturday night that we are able to roll in bites. If you watch our NBC golf telecast, we roll in sound bites on Sunday that kind of help personal, right. personalize the players. And so we have asked Tiger in all those times, obviously, that he's been in contention after three rounds to join us and join me because I'm able to get over there after I get out of the booth and interview most of the guys. And he's never done it. He's never <laughs> sat down with us. And wow. so we asked, so I went over there, hustled over after we got out of the booth on Saturday night, and uh, they said, yeah, well, we got one more guy, and I said, well, who's that? And they said, well, we're waiting for Tiger. I'm like, I kind of laughed. I said, we're not going to get Tiger. It's, that's not happening. <laughs> so they said, no, well, the tour says he's going to come over, and, uh, and he's going to sit down with you. And I said, well, you know, I'm not really all that optimistic about, optimistic about it. So I went outside to see where he was, and I knew that he was, he was on the putting green. He was practicing his putting. So I walked out there to see if he was really going to be with us because I was going to break down that we were going to break down the crew. There was no sense in us waiting yeah. for an hour while Tiger, you know, didn't, you know, mm. blew us off in the end. Right. So I walk out there and he starts walking over to me and he goes, "All right, where are we doing this?" And I just, I was in shock and it was, it was, <laughs> it was a great feeling of shock. I said, "Right over here." And so we went to the clubhouse. We sat down. He couldn't have been any more um, accommodating, thoughtful with his answers. And I just thought to myself. You know, this this is a new tiger, yeah. appreciative of where he is, um, appreciative of the media like us trying to do our job. And he sat down. We rolled in several of the bites on Sunday, if you saw the telecast, yeah. and he was just fantastic. And I just think that's the greatest example that I can think of of a guy yeah. that has truly changed. That's great. One last quick yeah. question. Got to ask. Notre Dame football. <laughs> and these guys are looking good. I mean, they got a big challenge this afternoon. They got Northwestern, but, uh, I think, I think they're, uh, and also I don't get this, these polls. What is wrong with Notre Dame's schedule? I mean, they, Stanford, Michigan, Michigan State, I mean, and everybody, no matter what team Notre Dame plays, they're going to play better than they do against anybody else. Yeah, they do. They do the target on their back. Everybody likes to knock Notre Dame off, especially when they're unbeaten. Have a chance to, you know, to win it all again. You know, but the the thing, the big thing that hurts Notre Dame, and the conversation that obviously happens before every possible playoff, and the four teams that are going to get in, is the non. There's no conference championship for Notre Dame right. to get in there and make the exclamation point, and even maybe lose a game and still get in. That's how these other teams in the past year have been able to get in with one loss. Because of their schedule in the regular season, but they win, you know, down late, you know, in the committee season, they win a big conference championship. And Notre Dame doesn't have that luxury, I should say, or that chance to do it. So they've got to, 
they've got to keep clean. They've got it. They can't stumble. And you know, there's there's the scenario. You know, you mentioned Michigan. There's the scenario of Michigan running the table and winning the Big Ten championship and getting into the playoff ahead of Notre Dame with a team they lost at the beginning of the year. So. I think it's great conversation, and I think that uh, Notre Dame has to let its uh, let's play on the field, do the talking, because you know we can go around in circles with it. But and they've got a history, you know, back in 2012, getting spanked by Alabama in the championship game there. So you know, there's there's enough on the line for Notre Dame to just keep playing and see where they end up. You know. Yeah, that absolutely is. Dan, always a pleasure to have you stop by the driving range and uh, go out have some great holidays, and we'll check in with you in the new year. Always good to chat with you guys. Look forward to it again. Thank you. There you you. go. Dan Hicks from NBC. Oh yeah. Isn't he class? I'll tell you. I could, I could have him every week. He could be, it could be the Three Stooges. He should have married a friend of ours. Oh, that's right. He did. That's awesome. Oh, he's going to bring up Hannah Hannah Storm. That's right. Anyway. Well, we got to get out of here. Gonna go to break. We'll be back with another interview. This is Smoking Joe. I'm Mulligan Matt. That's Leslie T. And this is Smoking Joe's Drive Range right here on Sports Radio 650 AM.